Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space and welcome to episode number 144. My guest for episode 144 is Dr. Shika Jane. Dr. Jane is an oncologist and she's an assistant professor of medicine at Rush University in Chicago. She's also their physician director for media relations and she does a whole bunch of things really, really well. She's a podcaster. She's a researcher. She's published. She kind of does it all and it all came together a few months ago where she just had this run of publications and podcasts and all this great stuff kind of all at the same time. So we connected around the idea of the Shika Jane heat check because she just went off and it was really fun to watch. So we talk about that quite a bit in this episode, but we also spend a lot of time in a really interesting place for our profession, and I would say professions in general, which is the concept of conferences. We go to these conferences. What are they like? What's the future of them? And Shika is uniquely positioned to discuss this because she created and runs one. It's the Women in Medicine Summit. It's coming up in a few weeks in Chicago. And so we really dive into this topic, and it's a really fascinating place to spend a little bit of time. I think you're going to really enjoy it. Before we get to the episode, please want to just invite everybody to come back and check out our website. The whole archive is there, www.explorethespaceshow.com. I'm very active on social media as we talk about a lot on this show. Twitter is the best place to find me, at ETS Show. I'm also on Instagram, at Explore the Space Show. I love getting emails. I love getting ideas for content. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. And then the podcast itself, we keep the content coming. So please find your favorite platform and please subscribe. Lots more good episodes to come. We are cranking them out. The whole archive is there, and it is evergreen content. You can go all the way back to the beginning, and it's just as good and relevant as the day we published it. So please subscribe, if, and if you have a minute, please do leave a rating and a review. It's a really powerful tool to help new people find the show, and it's really appreciated. I had a blast talking with Shika. We had been circling each other for a while to make this one happen, and it does not disappoint. So without further ado, Shika Jane. Shika, welcome to Explore the Space. We've been we've been circling each other for a while and we're finally here. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to finally get the opportunity to talk to you. This is going to be great. Okay, let's start with the heat check. That's where we have to start. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I think, like six months ago, you were just on a tear. You were on a tear. <laughs> Every day was another podcast. You had publications. You were speaking. Like, who is this person? You're like a comet. So I, I put the term heat check on you. I said, at Shika Jane is having a heat check on social media. And when you saw that, did you know what a heat check was? You know, I I kind of had an idea of what you were trying to get at. And yeah. I was honored and flattered, actually, that you thought that I deserved a heat check. So what for me, what it is, so there's, there's you know, in, I'm a huge sports fan. And in the world of sports, we'll say, you know, Steph Curry just hit seven three-pointers in eight minutes. Everyone's tuning in, you know, NBA Twitter's lighting up, so we're all turning on NBA TV, and everyone's wanting to see this happen live. That's a uh-huh. heat check. So when Shika Jane is like every single day <laughs> posting all these things that, you know, take a long time to do and a lot of work to execute, and it's like, nah, it's Wednesday, I'm going to do two. <laughs> we're going to call that a heat check every time. Oh, I love it. Well, I was really, truly flattered that uh, that you felt I deserved a heat check. So thank you. Thank you for that. Absolutely. It's the first one. I haven't seen one since from, you know, <laughs> and it's not like I'm always there, but 
That was legit. It was, I think it was like <laughs> six serious things in a span of four days, which is just bonkers. Yeah, it was, I think it was around the time I had two podcasts come out kind of on one or two days within each other. And then I also, um, Senator Durbin was here at Rush. So I was at a press conference with him. And then I also was giving a talk on colorectal cancer awareness. And I think that um, one of my articles also got published. And then I think a couple of my abstracts also got accepted. It was, it was crazy. I agree. A lot of stuff just happened all in the same uh, week span. So it was, I was surprised that it all happened at the same time, but it was, it was nice that you noticed. (laughs) And And then you had a nap. Yeah, and then I had well, I wish my kids had a nap, and I tried <laughs> to nap, right. and then one of them woke up. So <laughs> that's the funniest thing when all this cool stuff happens. You go home, and your kids are like, "Nah, I'm just hungry." Yeah, yeah okay. pretty much, pretty it's, much. It's grounding, though, right? It's important. You know, you can you can have all these things happen, and it's great. And some you know random guy in Santa Rosa says you're on a heat check, and it's super exciting. <laughs> but it's also grounding to come home, and it's just all right. I gotta clean stuff up and publish a podcast and it's super exciting and credits and plots all around. I come home, my son's like, all right, dad, let's go do this. Like, yeah, that's what we're doing right now. I love it. Yeah, exactly. And it's, I mean, it's so rewarding to be able to have those kids at home and they, I mean, they don't care what I'm doing at work. I mean, my daughter is old enough to understand that I take care of patients right. and that I have meetings, but, uh, I, it is very grounding and it's, it's, just a wonderful part of my life that I don't put too much on social media about because I like to keep my private life private to a certain amount. Um, but yeah, it's very special. It's very special having them in, in my life and having that time with them. Recognizing that boundary about not sharing too much about your personal life. You said that your daughter understands that you see patients and go to meetings. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. That's- Anytime the, 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 I have something coming up, I just tell her either I'm going to clinic to see patients or I'm going to a meeting. It's kind of what she understands. <laughs> that's so fascinating. You can, you, you, you and I went to school, I think probably around the same time. I'm going to date mm-hmm. myself a little bit. I think I'm older than you. <laughs> Do you remember when they would have the projectors up and the professor would write in the, in the, in the erasable ink on the plastic sheet and put oh, yeah. it on and it would project that was PowerPoint back in the day? Yep. Absolutely. Okay. That's the really cool kind of overlay of this milieu of what's happening in our profession and what's happening with priorities. Growing up for me as the son of a physician, it would never have occurred to me that my dad did anything but see patients ever. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that you or I are doing anything wrong. Uh, It's just, you know, it's just different. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting with that for a minute. That's not why you're here, though. So I don't want to get sidetracked. That's a really interesting point. I have to sit with that one for a minute. But you are <laughs> here because of your heat check stuff, because of all the bananas things that you do. And I want to get into it, not from the perspective of let's go through all of the things that you've done. Those are available. They're great. Your mm-hmm. podcast is great. Your writing is great. You are an advocate for your patients. You're a prominent oncologist and you're doing the right work. I want to talk about the next step in all of this, because one of the things that you're very good at, and this is a skill that I don't have and I'd like to develop, is you translate all of this dynamism and excitement and enthusiasm, and you create a micro environment for professionals to gather. And this happens in every profession. This is not just medicine. You create conferences. You create gathering places where people can meet, socialize, exchange ideas, hear talks, participate in panels, et cetera, et cetera. Is it a continuum for you to say, I do all of this stuff on social media, I write, I do podcasts, 
is creating this conference environment, is creating this place where we come to you to gather, is that part of a continuum or is that a standalone thing? So I think that's a great way of looking at it. I think it's a part of the continuum. So, um, you know, my father's also a physician. He's a surgeon. And one thing he taught me from a very young age is that our job as physicians is to educate and to collaborate and to work together. And as physicians, we are leaders in what we do. Um, and one of the things that I think is mo- that he taught me that was most important is the education component, which is our jobs are to educate the public. Our jobs are to educate our patients. We have all this training. We have all this um, education. So what is what good is it if we're not passing it along and if we're not helping other people, um, you know, live healthier lives or live better lives or understand things? And I think one of the challenges in medicine that social media has helped to kind of fix to a certain extent is that we are very siloed especially in academics. A lot of times we're kind of in our own path. We're working on our own promotion. We're working on our own research. And yes, there's collaboration. Yes, there's communication. But I feel like we're really siloed and we're separated a lot. And there aren't as many opportunities or there weren't in the past as many opportunities to get together other than at just a conference or just a meeting that happened once a year. I think social media and things like conferences have allowed us to not only participate in the moment where we go for a weekend and we're able to talk and we're able to network and we're able to meet people, but throughout the year, you're able to network and communicate and educate and connect with people from around the world who you really wouldn't have the opportunity to connect with otherwise. I mean, I've talked to people in Africa on the same day I've talked to people in Texas, and I've been able to do that through social media and connect with them and spread information to, you know, thousands of people at a time. And I think that connectivity that social media provides, it's a blessing and a curse. But I try to focus on the positive and focus on the blessing part, which is it really allows us to disseminate information in such a global way. And then that translates into things like this conference where we're able to come together because it's also important to meet in person. So you're able to come together, you're able to share ideas, you're able to form those bonds and connections where you can then go out and educate and spread the word and make changes um, and learn from other people's experiences. So I think it's all really a continuum that that comes together to form this beautiful and amazing collaboration that really we didn't have the opportunity to do before the internet and social media allowed us to be so connected. I'm going to jump the gun from the way I normally do this. You have one of these coming up. I want you to plug it now. Like, let's get granular. So you've positioned conferences as this place where we can educate, we can collaborate, we can, you know, take the social media to the in real life meeting, which is so valuable and super exciting when we get to actually meet all these people. Uh, You know, one day you and I are actually going to meet in person. That'll be very cool. Yeah. Take us to what's coming up because you have one of these. You've created one of these micro environments. You've created one of these platforms. You you have people coming. What is it? So um, it's called the Women in Medicine Summit, and it's September 20th and 21st in Chicago at the Drake Hotel. Um, It was kind of formed in my mind and then executed with a co-chair who um, is from a different institution. She and I work very well together. She's actually a surgeon. And we came up with this idea because we really wanted to provide a space for women in medicine, women in healthcare to not only connect and network, but also get some skills, get some leadership training, get some speaker training, get some um, 
training on how to manage up, how to, you know, deal with people who may be more senior to you in age, but maybe below you, so to speak, in ranking, and how to lead people who may not be willing to be led. And so I think a lot of times women especially face challenges and we don't realize that these challenges exist because we just internalize them or we ignore them or we move past them. I mean, I've done it for years. So now we're getting to a point where women are speaking out about these things. And so um, my co-chair and I felt that we needed a conference to not only educate about the problems that exist and the gender equity issues that exist in healthcare, but also an a way for the attendees to start to improve themselves and work on themselves both personally and professionally to try to help them advance in their careers as well as to advance the mission of achieving gender parity in um, in healthcare at a national level. So a couple observations, the right work, unique work, hopefully not for much longer. And one of the things that for me has made a big impression that when I've looked at the conference agenda and looked at the website and followed you on social media is that the title should not make it feel like this isn't for everybody. Tom mm-hmm. Varghese, who was on my show, episode 139, he's one of your speakers. You have panels to include, like recognizing that men are going to be part of this work. And I think that that idea of inclusiveness is is really laudable. Absolutely. And I think I think the most important thing that often gets lost in the message is this isn't something where it's men versus women or it's a antagonistic type thing. It's very much a collaborative thing. I am very much about connecting bridges and connecting people. And, you know, it's a fact that there are more men in leadership positions right now. And I think the challenge is realizing that we need to all work together because if we don't work together, really change isn't going to be made. There's still more men than women in leadership positions in healthcare. That is a fact. So what we need to do to actually move the needle is we need to bring men into the conversation. We need to have men at these conferences, involved in these conferences, involved in the speaking, involved in the teaching. So we have several men who are, as you mentioned, we've got a panel, uh, a he for she panel. And the purpose of that is to talk about how men can champion women, how men can sponsor women, and how um, men and women can start thinking outside of their own circle and have a diverse group of advisors, a diverse group of a search committee, diversity at every level in their system. And by doing so, we can really create a better healthcare system for our patients because our patients suffer when they aren't represented in every step of the healthcare process. And so having that heterogeneity will really improve healthcare as well. So I absolutely agree. I think it's important to point out we have a lot of men involved in the summit. And we did that very mindfully because we don't want this an us versus them type scenario. We want this to be a dialogue and a plan and empowerment for everybody so that everybody gets ahead. It's really smart. It's new. And I think it's going to only continue to grow. I want to pull out a couple of statements that you made because for me, they are informative of something that I've been wrestling with. So one of them, earlier on, you said that physicians, we have a responsibility to communicate with and educate the public. Cosign. We have the opportunity to build and grow connectivity and learn from one another. Cosign. We want to include as many people as possible. Cosign. Here's my, here's my question for you, and here's a, a tension that I see 
with conferences, not yours specifically. So please don't feel like I'm calling you out. I want you here because I think you're going to have vision on how we make this better. The conferences themselves, I feel like we're missing an opportunity to do all of those things that you just identified, unless you're actually physically at the conference. Mm -hmm. So if I'm at the conference, you got it. I'm going to share and all that stuff. I'm going to meet people. I'm going to learn. I'm going to see the syllabi. I'm going to hear the, if I'm not at the conference, I am a hundred percent out. I'm out of the loop completely. And what helped me realize Mm -hmm. this is in the last year of being active on social media, occasionally when there's something really good or electric and you've actually done this before and it's awesome, someone will be like live tweeting a thing. They will say, this person is speaking and as they're speaking or maybe right after, here's a couple of the high points and maybe a screen, you know, a screenshot of one of their slides. Mm -hmm. And that helped me realize like, wait a minute, if Shika Jane is giving a plenary talk on anything, I don't really care what it is, <laughs> and I'm not there, I still want to see it. Uh-huh. I still want to hear it. I still want to maybe be able to download it, and we're not there yet. Do you see yeah. that as, should conferences be something where we have that wide open universal access, or should it remain, does it make it special? Does it make it better? Does it make it more unique to have it be like, hey, come come to the source and you'll meet with these, you'll, you know, you'll meet with the fellowship of the ring, <laughs> right? Or yeah. don't come to the source and that's your choice, but you're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna learn the spells and you're not gonna learn the magic. Yeah. So I think, I think you make two really good points. So the first point is how do we make this more accessible to everybody, including people who can't make it? Because there are a lot of barriers to coming to conferences. I mean, there's work, there's childcare, there's just time, there's, you know, you don't, you're, you've got other plans. So one thing that we have for our specific conference is we do have a social media team and we will be having people live tweeting throughout the entire conference. And we're also actually working on an initiative to try to get the conference live streamed internationally, where there's a um, organization that goes to areas or that helps set up in areas um live streams of conferences that are in areas where people are not able to really necessarily leave the country or it's an underserved area. So we are working on that. We're in the process of figuring out how to make that happen and live stream it to certain parts of the world. Um, And then, you know, there's some conferences have everything available on video. One thing we're trying to do is we're, we've created on our website a forum where you have to sign up to become a part of the forum, but it allows that continual, that conversation to continue after the conference is done, because I absolutely agree with you. There's uh, there's that excitement while you're there, but then you leave and you have all these business cards of people and you, you wonder, well, what do I do next? So we created this online forum that we're, it's live right now, but it's not having much action because the conference hasn't happened yet. We're hoping after the conference that people who attended the conference and people who didn't attend the conference will be able to use that forum to kind of continue the discussion. Um, And I'm also working, this is something that we're going to be announcing soon. I'm working on a national collaborative that I can't talk too much about because this podcast is coming out before we officially launch it. Uh, Um, Darn it. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) But you will hear about it in September um, where we are addressing these types of things and hopefully continuing the conversation past the, the conference. Now, to go to your second point, which is, you know, why can't we just have these these uh, events or these plenary talks recorded? 
started. So I occasionally Facebook live my talks. Like I gave a social media CME talk last week that I Facebook live. I did it poorly because I put it on a tripod and the video is in a mirror image. So you have to watch me backwards, but it is out there. <laughs> so I do try to Facebook live many of my talks. I think the challenges, especially because I'm now also a conference organizer, we want to make sure that we also excite people to come to the conference. So I think a lot of organizers feel if you put all of the content out there, then you're going to have people are going to have less of an initiative to actually come to the conference. And these conferences cost money. So you need people to come and pay to be there. So I think that it's a double edged sword where I absolutely agree that this content should be out there for everyone to see. I can see how some conference organizers would be nervous to do that because it'll be more challenging to convince people to come when you can find everything online. It's kind of like how people, some people have a problem with online shopping because, you know, it's shutting down stores and because you can get everything online. So what's the purpose of going to a store? Some people like actually going to the store and trying on the clothes. So I think that's, that's kind of a challenge when it comes to social media and this connectivity, but I am a huge, huge proponent of live tweeting. And I, encourage every single person who attends any of my talks to live tweet any talk that that I give because I think that it's important um to to get that information out there and and you might not be able to come to Chicago in September and if you can't then I want to make sure you get the information in some way whether it's through a tweet or through a video or through this forum I love that you said all of that and I'm going to vigorously push back on one thing. And this is something that you, I'm, I'm not in a bad way. I'm so excited sure. because this is something we can work on. It's this idea of if we make these more available, people won't come. A fair point, an important point. Mm-hmm. I will submit to you your analogy of department stores, analogy well taken. I will <laughs> submit that this is more like live sports for two reasons. Yeah. One of them. There is a sense of community and shared experience that, as you and I have talked about, comes from these conferences, comes from seeing your pals from med school and meeting new people and going to a new city and, you know, going to the dinners at night. Like, these things are fun. They're proper fun. Um, There's another component where they are required. I mean, you do have to get your CME. There's lots of ways to do it. But I think that that's part of it. But it's more than that, right? It's aspirational. These are fun the, the talks are great. There is something about being there in person. The, and that's the second part. With live sports, there's nothing better than being there in person. It just <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't match up. I will that's submit true. to you, we are very much in the latter category. And if you look at – I remember all of the conversations like how are we going to get people to go to basketball games and football games and baseball games and tennis and hockey and you name it with the rise of being able to show these things. Every, you know, we all have access now. Attendance has never been higher. People still go. They still look for these shared experiences. I'll submit to you that as we mobilize the our workforce, and it's the same for any other workforce, as we mobilize physicians and engineers and business people who are doing these conferences and we have these platforms available to share information, it will draw more people in. More people will want to go to these conferences and it will make things even more popular. So that'll be my take and let's let's <laughs> let's push it though and let's see what happens and the other thing that I think would happen is if we make it where right these domains are publicly accessible what if we started to cross pollinate some of these conferences I mean talk about silos right when we yeah. host a women in medicine conference or we host a technology in medicine conference or you know updated hospital medicine or whatever the case may be 
No one else is there but healthcare professionals. And I think it's reasonable to ask if that's a good thing or not. Yeah. Well, I think, so going back to your last point really quickly. So yeah, I, I just I said totally, a lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> you did. No, it's fine. I, I totally agree with you that, you know, my purpose, and as you can see that through social media, is to get all the information out there. I think one challenge in medicine especially is sometimes when people are presenting, some of the data they're presenting or something they're presenting may not be ready for prime time, so to speak, meaning it may not be published yet, and they've been given permission to to present it at a conference, but they haven't been given permission to disseminate it widely. So we would have to come up with solutions. Like I've been at conferences where there'll be a slide where people will say, if you're live tweeting, don't tweet out this next slide. So the challenge is if you're going to be live streaming or videotaping these things, how do you handle those particular scenarios? Or do you just expect the people who are presenting to not present information that they want to be known widely? And then are we are we kind of preventing people from from presenting things that they may want to present because they feel like it might be live streamed before it's published. So I'm, I'm very I, happy with this because it's clear to me that right now I'm playing checkers and you're playing chess and that's okay. <laughs> um, but can I try to come up with a solution to that? As, as someone who is not going to be at your conference, what if we just said, you're going to sh- you're going to live stream one talk per day and it would be you giving a plenary session um, it would be a panel and that's it. And we just sort of start small, but you say, this is going to be available 6 PM, you know, Pacific time, whatever, you know, you could take questions from the audience, um, both in the room and on social media. Um, I, I, would that, would that solve the problem that you absolutely are correct in pointing out? And that's really helpful that some of this stuff is not ready for public consumption and it's not because we're being secretive. It's not right. published yet. Exactly. And so that's a point well taken, but I wonder if we can still work around that by saying, if you have, um, Julie silver giving a talk at your conference, can that mm-hmm. be publicly available? So funny you should say that. So last year, I I don't actually know if you know this. So last year I planned a smaller conference at my previous institution. Um, That was, it was, I created this conference and founded it and co-chaired it with the same co-chair who I'm working with this year. And um, it was another women in medicine conference. Uh, It's kind of more focused on just the institution. Um, But we did just that. So we had three speakers who we'd gotten permission from ahead of time and we live streamed them through Periscope. So we did do that and we are considering doing that this year with a couple of our speakers. We just have to get permission ahead of time. So what happened when you did it? Wavelength. (laughs) Yeah. What happened? Um, so we got a lot of engagement. We had a lot of, we didn't get, we didn't accept questions from social media because we weren't yeah. set up for it at that sure, time, but sure, sure. there was quite a bit of engagement and the conference ended up trending on Twitter. Um, and so it was pretty, it was pretty cool to see. I live tweeted the conference as well, but I was also, you know, chairing one of the chairs of the conference. So it was a little bit more challenging for me to do that. Yeah. Um, but it was pretty well received and people were really excited about it. And there was a lot of, positive uh feedback so that's part of the reason why i wanted to try to do that again this year that's fascinating and then that gets us to something that is i think happening in parallel that will just be rocket fuel for this and that's more and more of our colleagues joining us on social media i've only been active for like a year you know i've had a twitter account for five years because i would put my podcast episodes up but i didn't engage at all until Mm -hmm. about a year ago and i know you're you're you know, your Jedi level on social media, (laughs) most of our colleagues are not. 
And I think as they come to conferences and we encourage people to lively, when I give talks now, it's, hey, take out your phones. Please take pictures. Please post things that are resonant for you on social media. This is important and I want you to do it. People look at me like I'm, you know, that I'm like I'm on fire. Like what, what the, what's wrong with you? But yeah. that's going to, I think that that's going to slowly become the new normal as you have more and more conference goers on Twitter or on Instagram or whatever platform g- engaging around this, either in the room or outside, that's really going to facilitate this going forward. Absolutely. And I will tell you, anytime I give a talk and I later on see a tweet where I've been tagged or a screenshot uh, or a, a shot of me standing next to one of my slides and someone, you know, says something profound or says something, quotes me, I get a warm fuzzy every time. Right, I right. I really do because it makes me feel like, one, people found my content engaging and important enough to tell other people about. And two, the information that I'm presenting is now not just to those 100, 200, 500, however many people I'm speaking to, it's going out into the internet. Yeah. And so who knows who might see it? And I've actually... I, the things that I think have been the biggest rewards for me through social media have been when I get a message from somebody like a trainee or somebody who's coming up in, in medicine or somebody who's thinking about medicine or a patient who contacts me and says, you know, you wrote this piece or someone tweeted about this that you did. And it really, it spoke to me or it touched me or it made me reevaluate how I do things. And I mean, I've had people who are very high up in leadership who I respect a great deal tell me that, you know, you tweeted this article and it made me reevaluate how I introduce people at Grand Rounds. And to me, to have that impact is really just such a, it's such a amazing feeling to, to know that what you are doing might have a positive impact on someone else's life or career. And it's very humbling to, to know that that is the impact we may have through social media. And I, I appreciate it more than I think I realized I would when I started venturing into the social media world. That 90 second clip I think should be in every medical student orientation packet. Um, (laughs) I think that that's really important and it's good for people to know that that's the impact they will have. What I'm going to say should not be in there. What I fear, (laughs) and I'll share this with you and nobody else, so don't tell anybody. What Mm -hmm. I fear is that when people are live tweeting one of my conference, one of my things, and I don't give as many talks as you do. And, you know, I'm, you know, with the, with the growth mindset, we're, we're hoping to all have the, the, the Shika Jane heat check moment. I am <laughs> um, kind of in, it, it, and it's going to happen. Someone's going to say, this dude's a schmo. This dude doesn't know what he's talking about. This talk is insufferable. There's going to be negative feedback on social media. And I am kind of like, I'm, I'm re- I don't know if I'm ready, but I'm ready. Yeah. I think it's so I think you touched on two really important points. So number one, I think you touched on the fact that imposter syndrome is a real thing and people who are <laughs> extremely right. successful. I mean, you are extremely successful. Your podcast is wildly loved across the world. So I think that it is? Um, what it is. It absolutely is. I hear about it from people who don't know that I virtually know you. So That's it is cool. definitely a, a very cool podcast and the things you do are amazing. And I think that just goes to show that all of us, no matter how successful we may or may not be suffer from imposter phenomenon (laughs) because that's just, I mean, it's, and I think that that's a good thing because I think that to a certain extent, we need to be questioning ourselves and making ourselves better. So I try to look at it in a positive and another plus for my, 
Another plug for my conference, the uh, woman who coined the term imposter phenomenon, Dr. Pauline Clance, is act- and created the Clance Imposter Phenomenon Scale, is one of our keynote speakers, just FYI. So, so, so um, right, that keynote, that, I, I need to see that. I, yeah. I, that, that's mandatory content for <laughs> all of us, right? For yeah. my family, for my sister, for my wife, for my, for my pals. Like, we all struggle with this. Yeah. If they see that talk on social media, on YouTube, you know, pull out the bullet points and put them on YouTube, whatever the case with your logo and your contact information and the conference. And it, that's rocket fuel. That's yeah. really good stuff. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I think, you know, it's similar to a Ted talk, right? Where Ted talks are recorded and then consumed by the public. I mean, that's where they're, they you just, are consumed. You just the nailed the analogy. Those yeah. are like the most downloaded things going. I do yeah. just want to say though that what I'm describing for you is and I think that you you're very good at this is you embody a sense of confidence and competence that is really really good and it shows because you put yourself out there and you step into the tension a lot. When I share this this I, this fear of the negative mm-hmm. feedback, I'll be totally honest, it doesn't come from a place of me thinking I'm incompetent or thinking I'm a schmo or not a good public speaker. It's just dealing with that negative feedback. I actually, you know, I've gotten a fair number of reps. I, there's things that I'm okay at and I'm trying to get better. And I have really good coaches and mentors that I that I bounce ideas off of and I learn from. Mm-hmm. It's more around that just knowing the negative feedback is coming and their pot shots are coming and yeah. I have to deal with that. It's not that I don't, I, I don't know that it's that I don't feel like I don't belong. Though there are places and times where I'm like, yeah, this is, I'm not hitting my weight right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm out of my <laughs> weight class and that's okay. Yeah. Um, but it's also just being, it's, it's also just being ready to deal with that negative feedback. Cause we are opening ourselves up to everyone and everything who, who wants to take a shot. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think that goes to the second point, which is there is, when you put yourself out there, there is this possibility of people attacking you. There's, um, there's trolls out there as they're so lovingly called who will, fixate on an issue and will attack you on things that are completely unrelated. Um, Every time I give a talk, so this is something, if you ever hear one of my talks about social media, I always give this anecdote because I think it's hilarious. So, and what's going to happen is everyone's going to pull up a picture of me after I, after I say this, but um, (laughs) I, I once tweeted something that I didn't think was, I I mean, I think it was related to vaccines and how I'd gotten my flu shot or something like that. Oh boy. And, um, and I've not, I haven't been attacked with the same level of fervor that many of my colleagues have. So I've been fortunate in that sense, but there was one thing that I posted that ended up getting some trolls involved who they just started attacking my stance, which is vaccines are science and they're evidence-based and they save lives and they're necessary. So the best troll comment was from this woman, this young woman, who insulted my eyebrows. And she basically just said, you have hideous eyebrows. And and that was a part of her rant against me about how vaccines are bad. And I just remember looking at that and I wasn't sure what to make of it initially. I thought it was somebody like making a joke. I said, is this somebody like one of my friends or what is this? And then I looked and I was like, oh, no, this is somebody who doesn't believe in vaccines. And she decided the way to try to get to me was to insult my appearances. And so I went to the Doctors on Social Media group, which um, many of you know, it's one of the biggest social media platforms for physicians. And I posted and I said, you know, this is what happened. What does everyone suggest? 
And the responses I got were very varied. Some people said ignore, some people said blocker, some people said, you know, respond with evidence-based information. But what I've found is to be on social media, you need to have a little bit of a thick skin because people who are anonymous and people who are hiding behind their keyboard will have more confidence and more, they feel more powerful and they feel that they can say whatever they want. So they can bully you without ever seeing your face. And, and people use that to their advantage. And it's a sad part of social media. I mean, I'm not going to allow my kids on social media for a long time because I think it can be very detrimental to your self-esteem if, uh, if you fall into one of these rabbit holes. So what I tell people who ask me, what do you do when you deal with trolls or people who are negative or people who are saying things that are negative? I, I categorize people in a couple of different categories. So category one is the people who just don't believe in what you're saying and they're attacking you with non-factual ridiculous information. Those people, I say, ignore, block, you're not going to change their mind. So there's no point in trying to reason with somebody who is just attacking you. There's a second category of people who may disagree with you, and they may disagree with you because they don't believe in what you're saying, or they have different evidence, or they have different experiences. So in those cases, I think you should gauge the person. And if you think it's going to educate them, or if you think you might be educated, maybe you're wrong. Who knows? So having those conversations, I think, can sometimes be really rewarding. And you may learn something. You may not change the person's mind, or your mind may not be changed, but you might come away a better person because you've learned something. So I think that you just have to be prepared for these things to happen because more likely than not, at some point, somebody is going to insult you or say something hurtful or mean. Just remember, these people who are doing it oftentimes are doing it not realizing sometimes that there's a person at the other end. So you have to develop a little bit of a thick skin, which is hard to do, and I still don't fully have one. Um, but you have to kind of categorize these people into, are these people I block or are these people that I engage in dialogue with to hear their opinion and to see why they feel the way they do. It's a, it's a really important take. And I enjoyed hearing you say that because clearly you've been down some of those rabbit holes that are really, really weird and strange. And, you know, my first instinct when you say that someone's insulting your appearance is to, you know, I'm sorry. And that's so awful. And so, but clearly you know how to handle yourself. And I think it's great that you're sharing and disseminating that information this is something that we are all learning. And I think physicians are in a unique position. Eh, unique's not the right word. We're in a, we're in a new position for us because I think we're kind of late adopters. And so the physicians are figuring this out where lots of other professions have already been out there for a while and mm -hmm. maybe have a better nomenclature around how to deal with these sorts of things. I'll submit to you. It's really hard. Um, yeah. I will also submit that getting those kind of baseline rules out there is really smart. And then the last thing I'll say is just with respect to how much time we spend on social media, when I've engaged with people who are, are saying bizarre things or being insulting or whatever, I just keep an eye on the time. I'm like, how much time am I going to give this person? <laughs> um, I'm not going to give them very much. And the second thing is, and I learned this when, you know, I, I was really fortunate. I had to have Shannon Watts from moms demand action on the show a few months ago she doesn't engage in ad hominem attacks. People attack her. I mean, you can only imagine. Oh, yeah. You can't imagine. You can go and listen and watch the unbelievably obscene and violent things people say directly to her. She doesn't engage. She doesn't validate it with any kind of response. Whether she takes it on board or not is a different story, but they get no validation from her. 
She, yeah. and, and that I think is really, really smart because that's what they're looking for, right? They're sticking a knife in and they're hoping that you'll bring your knife out because then they can say, well, you did it too. And then it's just on. Right. Um, and I think that that's a really good approach. And then the other one, Mary Brandt at mm-hmm. Texas Children's, don't be a yeah. wimp. Mary's awesome. And <laughs> she put that on social media and I was like, ah, oh, Mary's just the best. So there is that balance that we have to figure out. How much time are we going to spend? avoiding the ad hominem attacks when they come at you and they say something bizarre about your appearance, it's going to hurt. You're going to want to throw back, but what happens when you do that? And then also recognizing that there are mechanisms by which you can stand up for yourself. And like you presented blocking, muting, reporting, but it's hard. Yeah. Well, and I'll give, I'll give you an example, a positive example that came out of one of these experiences where I wrote an op-ed on um, state and living with Patients living with stage four breast or stage four lung cancer and um, and immunotherapy because the way oncologists so I'm an oncologist and the way oncologists kind of handle stage four cancers in a lot of ways has changed with the advent of immunotherapy because people are living longer. So the per, the op-ed that I wrote was on um, a patient who had a stage four bucket list and she's alive four years later still and she you know she finished her bucket list and so it was a very it was a story about her and it was a story about me and talking about how I address these situations and how I talk to my patients now who have stage four cancer who may be living much longer than they used to, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And a patient responded who has stage four cancer, not one of my patients, just a, somebody on Twitter who had stage four cancer who was really upset. She said, you know, I read your piece and it really frustrated me because I have stage four cancer and this doesn't apply to me. And it started this really powerful conversation between me and her. And remind, remember, I don't know her. She doesn't know me other than she just read this piece. And I talked to her about it through Twitter. We messaged back and forth. And I said, you know, I'm so sorry that you, you're dealing with this. And I understand that this particular piece doesn't resonate with you because it doesn't apply to you. I said, the purpose of me writing it was that was to show that cancer is heterogeneous. There are lots of different ways to deal with and to treat stage four cancer. And some people are now living longer than they were. And I can understand it's frustrating to you because you're somebody with stage four cancer and there aren't options for you that are similar to the options that this particular patient had. And so for you, this, this article didn't resonate with you. And, and by the end of it, I think we both understood each other's opinions and takes. And she said, you know, I think I was just having an emotional day because I got bad news from my doctor today. And then I read your piece and I I felt like hopeless and I told her, I said, you know, when you're, we, we, we had to talk about mental health. We had to talk about her relationship with her oncologist. And it, at the end, she thanked me for taking the time to talk to her. And she actually said that she was going to spread the article to her friends because she felt like it may resonate with some of them in her support group that she was in. So I think, I think that, you know, she taught me something. I taught her something. What started off as a negative kind of, I don't like what you wrote. This is ridiculous. Why would you write something like this? turned into a very positive experience. And a lot of times it's not going to turn into something like that, but this was one particular experience that sticks with me. I mean, this happened two and a half, three years ago, and I still remember it because she impacted my life and I impacted hers. And I think we both left the conversation better for it in a conversation that could have gone a very different way if we had both approached it in a different way. That example is an extraordinary bookend to your comment at the beginning of how we can educate and engage with the non-medical public. And I think it makes it very clear 
what and how your career I will submit, I think is going to evolve and kind of where the next heat checks are going to come from is you're going to help all of us get much better at this work on social media fast. And that's really important because what you just described, that's impactful. That's good stuff. And I'll submit again that there aren't many professions that are in a position to do that. And so if we can get a critical mass of thoughtful, empathic, trained physicians to engage like that, that fills a vacuum. And that's a vacuum that really needs to be filled. And it's a vacuum of our own creation. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's exciting. And I, I, I can see that that's, that's another frontier that you're going to be a leader in. And that that's cool. Yeah, I think, you know, in social media, physicians and healthcare systems were not on it for so long because there are so many potential pitfalls. But I and I agree, we are 10 steps behind every other profession. But I think we're starting to catch up. And I think physicians and healthcare systems are starting to realize the impact we can have. And it really is extraordinary the things we can do through social media as physicians, as healthcare providers, as, you know, people in the in the world of medicine. I think that there's so much that we can all do to really move the needle and and educate people and really engage in a way that wasn't possible before. So we've talked about it. Now how do people actually find you on social media? So I am on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at ShikajaneMD. So S-H-I-K-H-A-J-A-I-N-M-D. Uh, you could find me at my website, www.shikajanemd.com. Um, I'm on Instagram, shikajanemd. I'm pretty non-creative with my handles, as you can tell. <laughs> um, I also have a professional page on Facebook, which is, again, shikajanemd. Um, or if you're interested in finding about out about the summit, you can go to www.womeninmedicinesummit.org. We will have all of those links in our show notes. And highly recommended content. Absolutely. You know, people should, should follow along. Hopefully they can follow along and and see some snippets of this conference. And I would imagine the conferences that you'll be creating in the future. And, you know, these are also agenda items for me to actually be there. Cause for me, it's more aspirational to be at one of these than to follow on social media. But one of the two, I think will suffice for now. And this was awesome. I really appreciate you coming on. I I had a feeling we were going to go way beyond (laughs) <laughs> the just just the 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 ideas of social media and how we connected on Twitter and I, I had a feeling we were going to go way further and we did and that's great so thank you very very much thank you so much for having me on this was really a wonderful experience and I'm so excited to continue listening to your awesome podcast thank you for listening to explore the space visit us on our website explorethespaceshow.com And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.